Hi guys, uh, you only usually hear from me once a year, I'm your church treasurer, uh, but I've been the chairman of the search committee uh, for a pastor. When Pastor Evan decided he was going to cut down to one church, we um, put a couple of job postings on different church job boards. Uh, we had um, very little outcome there until our uh, prayer ministry leader decided to have a time of that people would fast and pray. And during that time, uh, we've had as many as one every day. Uh, we were off for the holidays. We didn't have any. He started back. We had one every day. I texted him. I said, well, we're back in business. I've got one every day. I've gotten them from Nigeria, California, uh, several other states, including a few in Ohio. Uh, but we got one um, from this fellow from Core Church. I love saying the name of the town, Broken Arrow Oklahoma. So we listened to, he had some uh, sermons that we could hear. We listened to him. How it worked was if it sounded decent, I would send it to Pastor Evan, then we'd send it on to the rest of us on the board. Uh, so we really liked this uh, preaching, and we decided to have a Skype interview with him, which we did that. Uh, kind of a different thing for me, but it was pretty cool. We get to see him face to face. Um, so uh, before I forget it, I want to welcome Peggy and Joe Duvall, our district superintendent. You heard from him briefly here, but uh, we're blessed to have them. Um, we wouldn't be here without 3CNU, our denomination, that's for sure. So without a lot of other rambling, I'm not a pastor. I'm not used to talking too much. Um, <laughs> so Pastor Daniel Surratt is married to his lovely wife, Di. They have three children, nine, seven, and four, two girls and a boy. And he lives near, uh, it's the outskirts of Tulsa, Oklahoma. From 2008 to 2014, he was the worship arts director at Core Church at Aspen Creek. And from April 2014 until now, uh, he has been um, community pastor. And the church is Core Church at Aspen Creek in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Welcome, Pastor Daniel. Well, good morning, Lifehouse Church. Man, it is great to be here today. Um, as a gift from Oklahoma, we brought some 70-degree weather with us yesterday, and so... My compliments. Thank you. You can thank me later. Um, if you would, could, could I get everyone to go ahead and stand? This is kind of a tradition that uh, we do at our church as we get ready to read the scripture. And so it's an honor to get to share on behalf of my wife, uh, Di, and myself. We are just really excited to be here. Um, I just want to brag on your church and on your leadership for a second. Uh, we, have, we have never received a red carpet welcome like we have received uh, from this church. Um, at, at night at the hotel, we would look at each other and say, honey, I don't think we're worth this, you know? And so uh, for, for you guys have made us feel so incredibly welcome, and I think that speaks so highly of your leadership of Pastor Evan. And so I just want to take a moment to say thank you. So I've been married to my wife now for 13. Uh, this will be our 14th year. It's long enough that you have to do math when you tell someone how long you've been married. Uh, we have three kids, uh, nine, seven, and four years old, and I brought a picture of them. And so these are our kids. Our oldest there on the left is Olivia. Um, Olivia will one day run the world. That is, that is Olivia. Um, my uh, second daughter, Claire, is seven, and um, she is the most introverted thing on the planet. She's super sweet, but um, anytime you talk to her, you can tell she wants the ground beneath her to open her up and swallow her. And... Um, Andrew is our boy. He is four. He is all boy. Um, he is, he's great. He's extroverted. And he's the reason why we're not having any more kids. And so <laughs> that is our family in a nutshell. If you, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn with me to the book of Acts? The book of Acts chapter 20. Um, books, book of Acts chapter 20. If you're new to church today, if you're new to Lifehouse today, so am I. So welcome. We'll, we'll get through this together. Acts chapter 20, in the book of Acts, if you're unfamiliar with, with church and unfamiliar with the Bible, Acts was written to document what was happening in the early church. And it was written actually by a doctor named Luke. 
and it kind of follows the exploits after the resurrection of Jesus, what happened in the church. And so in this book, we're introduced to a guy named Paul. Now, Paul is one of the most fascinating characters in all of Scripture. Paul wrote two-thirds of what we call the New Testament. And Paul, what's so cool about Paul is he wasn't always Paul. He used to be called Saul. And when he was Saul, he was not known for spreading the church, but he was known for persecuting the church. He was single-handedly responsible for putting Christians to death. He was a Pharisee, which was part of the Jewish religious order at the time, and they wanted no part of this new uprising called Christianity. And so Paul went, Saul went around killing Christians and putting them to death, persecuting the church, all until he had an encounter with the risen Christ, all until he had an encounter with Jesus. He became Paul and became one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever seen, spreading the mission of the gospel. So when we pick up this story in Acts chapter 20, what's happening is Paul is feeling compelled to go to the city of Jerusalem. The only problem with that is, is Paul is like on the most wanted list on Jerusalem. Like there are old Western like pictures of Paul's face on posters and stuff, you know, most wanted. Paul knew and everyone knew, Paul, if you set foot in Jerusalem, you're a dead man. The religious leaders want you dead. They want your head on a platter. But Paul said, I feel so compelled that God, that Jesus is calling me to go to Jerusalem to preach the gospel. And all his friends are trying to talk him out of it. Paul, you're crazy. Paul, you're nuts. Paul, you're going to die. And yet Paul says, I feel compelled. So this is where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 22. And I read out of a heathen translation of the Bible. It's the New Living Translation. So if it's not what you have, just follow along. It says, uh, starting in verse 22, And now I am bound, this is Paul talking, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So, Father, we come before you today and we just ask that you would speak to us. Lord, we open up our hearts. We open up our minds to you, Lord. Would you speak to us today? Would you challenge us, God? Would you stretch us? Lord, we pray that we would have an encounter with your transformational power this morning. Lord, we haven't come just to fill a seat. We haven't come just for free bagels. God, we've come to encounter you today. And so, God, we pray that as we, as we gather here, as we hear your word, Lord, that it would just be more about hearing intellectual thoughts and ideas, but God, that your spirit would change us, that your spirit would transform us. So we open up our heart to you, God, that you would do that today. We open up our mind to you, Lord, speak to us, change our life. And Lifehouse, if you're ready to hear from God this morning, can I get a big amen? amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Dave, thank you. So obviously, we uh, kicked off a brand new year, a brand new decade, as we are now just in the second Sunday of 2020. And not only just celebrating a new year, but a new decade. Now, I know there's some controversy on the internet about whether or not the decade officially starts in 2020 or 2021. I have not come to settle this debate, although I will say all of my illustrations have to do with the decade starting this year. So if you're a 2021, you just have to go with me this morning that the decade has started this year. And, you know, when you're preaching at the beginning of the year, it can feel kind of I don't know, cliche, kind of like low-hanging fruit to talk about, you know, a new year and a new decade and all of this stuff. But um, you only get to talk about a new decade once every 10 years. And so if, if this falls flat, I won't tell these stories, you know, in 2030. We'll just, we'll just skip past it. But there's a lot of cool stuff that's happened over the last decade. And so, for example, went back, did some studious research, you know, on Google, and, you know, found out some things, how far we've come in the last 10 years. For example... Ten years ago, number one song on the radio was TikTok by Kesha. Now, I know all of you here in Ohio, you're too, you're too spiritual to know what TikTok by Kesha is. But some of you, I, I know secretly you're still bumping that on your playlist. It's still rocking on your Spotify. It's okay. You're in a safe place here this morning. But now, fast forward ten years, TikTok is the number one app on the App Store. If you don't know what TikTok is, find someone under 20. They will fill you all in on what TikTok is all about. Ten years ago, number one movie in the movie theater was Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3. Last year, 2019, I took my family to see Toy Story 4. It's great. At this rate, I'll be able to take my oldest daughter, Olivia, to see Toy Story 5 as a high school graduation present. Because it'll be that long before they come out with one. 
10 years ago, I'm a, I'm a tech guy, a little bit about me. I'm, I'm a tech junkie. I love technology. And so 10 years ago, near and dear to my heart, the first iPad came out. And so it's just been 10 years that the whole tablet thing is, has caught on. We rented a car uh, as we came into you know, the Cleveland area. as a Toyota Corolla and had a giant tablet-like screen on there. And I'm like, honey, it's, it's crazy now that 10 years you know, they're putting tablets in Toyota Corollas. You know, who would have who thought it? Uh, 10 years for me, you know, personally, it's been a lot of, lot of change and a lot of adjustment. Like I said, my, my uh, oldest daughter is 9 years old. So this time... Ten years ago, you know, we, we got pregnant with our first, our first child. I mean, we got pregnant. My wife did all the work. You know, it's, you know, I, I was just, I was just there to, to cheer on. You so you can do it, honey. But so, you know, this time ten years ago, we're pregnant. So I like to say that this time ten years ago, we had no kids and some money. And fast forward ten years, and we have some kids and no money. And that's that's the way our life is working. Ten years later, I, I think it's natural for us to reflect on where we're at this time of year, the beginning of the year and where we want to be, beginning of a new decade. It's natural for us to kind of look back and see where we've come from and where we want to go in our life. And that's why New Year's resolutions, you know, are so popular. And I don't know about you. I'm not a huge resolution guy. Some of you may be, you know, people that, that, that make New Year's resolutions and you're all about it. Some of you have maybe made New Year's resolutions already this year. Some of you may have already broken your New Year's resolutions this year. I want to tell you, as, as an ordained pastor, I give you grace. We're still in the grace period for New Year's resolutions. So if you've already had too many cookies, man, get back on the bandwagon. You can do it. But I think it's natural for us to do that. You know, whether it's, you know, maybe I want to lose some weight, or maybe I want to try to pay off a credit card, or maybe some bigger things. Maybe, you know, you want to look at some serious life change that happens. This is kind of such a natural time for us to pause and to think about where we are in our life and where we want to be. But, but the problem with resolutions, the problem with this is it, it really doesn't take long for us to, to look, and whether it's a few weeks or a few months, and those resolutions become a distant memory. Those things that we wanted to have happen, the things we were so gung-ho about, man, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, they, they really don't have a lot of power over us. We, we fail at those resolutions time and time Again, and we think, well, maybe next year, maybe next year, maybe next year will be the year that I do that thing I wanted to do. Maybe next year will be that year that we finally get out of debt or I finally get into shape. And I, and I think we fail at revo- resolutions for this reason. I, I, th- I don't think resolutions really inspire us deep down. I, I think when we make resolutions, they, they fall into what I call the it'd be nice category. You know, it'd be nice if I lost a few, a few pounds. It'd be nice if I paid off some debt. It'd be nice if this happened. It'd be nice if we went on the vacation this year. The things we, we want to do, but at the core of who we are, they don't really inspire us to action. They don't really inspire change inside of us. At the end of the day, it's kind of, oh, it'd be nice if this happened. But it takes more than that for us to make lasting change. See, what I believe, Lifehouse Church, is I believe that God wants to do more in your life in this year, that God wants to do more in this decade in you this year. I believe that God wants to do more in your church this year. I believe that God wants to use this year as a catapult and a catalyst for new things that he wants to do in the coming years and in the coming decades. But it takes more than a resolution kind of mindset. See, I believe that God wants to move us from resolutions to revolutions. That God wants to move us from resolution to revolution. And see, what that is, is resolutionary mindset says, oh, it'd be nice if this happened. It'd be nice if that. But, but a revolution can be so much more in your life. So what does it take for you to have a revolutionary mindset? What does it take for you to have a revolutionary life, a revolutionary vision? Well, this is what I believe. I believe resolutions become revolutions when you know the why behind the what, when you know the why behind the what. And here's what I mean by that. All of us here this morning, we have an idea of what we should do. We have an idea of what we should do. If you want to lose weight this morning, you have an idea of what you should do. Oh, I know I need to eat right and exercise. If you want to get out of debt this morning, you have an idea of what you should do. Oh, I know I need to spend less money. I know I need to get on a budget. If you want to get closer to God, this year, and if you want to improve your spiritual life this year, you know, oh, I know I need, to, I need to come to church more regularly, and I need to read my Bible, I need to pray. You know what 
you should do. But I think what's so often missing in our life and what keeps us thinking at a resolutionary level that does not allow and inspire change inside of us is we don't attach the why to the what. We know what we should do, but we forget why we should do it. But when you start to get a vision for your life, when you start to attach the why to the what, when you know why you want to do the what you want to do, then all of a sudden that unlocks something inside of you, unlocks a different level of passion. For example, let's say you want to lose weight this year. Let's say you want to get healthy this year. Resolutionary thinking says, it'd be nice if I lost a few pounds. Revolutionary thinking says, you know what? I want to start living a healthy life and I want to start getting in shape because I want to be there for my kids and I want to be there for my grandkids and I want to be there for my great-grandkids and I believe that my best years are not behind me but my best years are in front of me and I want, I want to have the kind of life that, that I can travel, I can do the things that God wants me to do, I can be involved in the ministries God wants me to be involved in, that I can take my kids to Disneyland and I can run them ragged, I can take my grandkids to Disneyland, they're going to be begging for mercy because grandma and grandpa are running them to the ground because I'm healthy and because I've taken care of myself. Do you see how that's different than I just want to lose a few pounds? That if, if you want a revolutionary life in your finances, resolutionary thinking, you know, when you don't know the why, you think, well, it'd be nice if I paid off a credit card this year. But revolutionary thinking says, man, I want to, I want to get out of debt and I want to be intentional with my money because I want to invest generously into the kingdom of God because I want to sow and I want to be a kingdom investor because I want to see my church grow. I want to see ministries grow. I want to be unchained. I don't want to be held by the bondage of debt. I don't want to be a master to my credit cards anymore. I want to be someone that can give and that can sow and that can benefit the kingdom of God. Do you see how that's different than I want to pay off a credit card this year? Some of you here at Lifehouse Church this morning said, man, it'd be nice if, if the church grew. It'd be nice if we had you know, bigger things. It'd be nice if we had a, a bigger youth ministry, a bigger children's ministry. And that's, that's a what level of thinking. But if you don't attach a why to it, you'll never accomplish the vision that God has for the church. Because the why is because there's a, there's a community and, and there's a city all around you where people don't know the name of Jesus. They don't know the hope that you've experienced as a Christ follower. They go into their lives and they have no idea who God is and what Jesus has done for them. And that they don't have to wait until heaven to experience the goodness of God. Just like we sang, that they can experience the goodness of God in the here and in the now. But they're living their lives for themselves and they don't know who Jesus is and that's the reason why as a church we have to go and we have to get them and we have to grow and we have to expand the walls. Do you see how that's different? Then it'd just be nice if the church grew a little bit. Resolutionary thinking attaches the why to the what and what that does is it sets the course and it begins to unlock. You see what the finish line looks like and it begins to unlock a revolutionary faith inside of you to see what your life could be and to see what your life should be. And when you have a vision to run after, what faith does is it aligns your life and it gives you something to run after. See, my four-year-old right now, one of the big things that we're trying to teach him is to have his eyes forward when he walks. Because my four-year-old walks like this. He, he's looking at everything that's going on around him except what's in front of him, which is all well and good until he bumps into the side of the coffee table and starts crying. See, what faith does is it aligns your life and it gives you a vision. It gives you a target to run after. You see what your life could be. You see what your life should be. And it unlocks this faith inside you. See, that's the goal. That's the why. That's the thing I'm chasing after. And it's so much more powerful when you know why you're running after something as opposed to, well, I should just do this. This is something that'd be good if it happened. But all of a sudden, if you can have a revolutionary faith to run after a goal, the things that God can unlock inside of you are unlimited. And I believe that God wants to unlock a revolutionary life inside of every single one of you here this morning. I believe that God doesn't want you just to settle for resolutionary thinking, for it'd be nice, it'd be good, it'd be, it'd be cool if this happened, but God wants to unlock kingdom purpose inside of every one of you, that there's a kingdom purpose for you. Church, you were created on purpose for a purpose, that there's people out there that only you can reach, that there's a community out there that only you can reach, that there's co-workers that you sit next to that only you can reach, that there's people that sit next to you in your classroom that only you can reach. But it's going to take revolutionary thinking, it's going to take kingdom thinking, kingdom faith for us to see that. 
But the truth is, church, that doesn't come easy. And it doesn't come cheap. And it doesn't come free. See, if it was easy to live this kind of life, everyone would live it. If it was easy to chase after this kind of vision, to chase after this kind of faith, every church would do it. Every Christ follower would do it. But the reason it's not easy is because you have an enemy that does not want to see this happen in your life. That there you are going, if you want to chase after the good things of God, that you are going to face opposition. That you are going to face setbacks and that you are going to face hurdles. And you need to be aware of that because if not, the second you face opposition, you'll say, forget this, I'm out. I'm done. There's no way I'm doing this. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at three obstacles that face you when you try to live a revolutionary life. And we're going to see from Paul's example. Paul was one of the greatest revolutionaries that ever lived. He started revolutions. In every city he went to, he started a revolution. That's why he was always being thrown in jail. That's why he was always being whipped. That's why all these bad things were always happening to Paul because everywhere he went, revolution followed him because he had his eyes on the prize. He had his eyes on what could be and what should be. And so we're going to see out of this example in Acts three things that will happen if you try to take a step out into what God has called you to do. And so we're going to get into this today. Are you guys still with me? Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. So let's pick it up in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. We're going to see the first obstacle here. Paul says, And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me. So Paul's saying, I feel, I feel compelled. He sees the vision. You guys with me? He sees the vision of where God wants to take him. But he says, when I, I know where I need to go, but I don't know what awaits me there. I don't know what awaits me. The first obstacle that you're going to face, if you want to have revolutionary vision, if you want to have revolutionary faith, the first obstacle that you are going to face is the unknown. And because of that, because of the unknown, you are going to need this. You are going to need faith to see in the unknown. You are going to need faith to see in the unknown. Can everyone say that with me? Faith to see in the unknown. One more time. Faith to see in the unknown. So I have, like I said, I have three kids. And because of that, you know, just kid movies are a part of life right now. And um, recently, I took my kids to see Frozen 2 in the movie theater. And that has a personal significance to me because the first Frozen movie was one of the first uh, movies we ever saw when we had kids as a family in the movie theater. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Frozen, I'm going to bring you up to speed a little bit. In that Frozen is this animated Disney movie, two sisters, Anna and Elsa. Elsa has these ice powers, and um, she, she can sing and make clothes and create things with ice. And that's, that's a Disney movie in a nutshell. And the other part of the Disney movie experience is, of course, the songs. Now, some of you may not be familiar with the major song that came out of Frozen 1, but many of you have heard it. It's this song called Let It Go. And Idina Menzel sings in. It's like, let it go, let it go. You know that whole, some of you may have heard that, you know, as you're walking through Target or something like that, seeing some kid on an iPad. They were rocking Let It Go. And so, you know, glimpse into my life is that, you know, for years... All of my kids are in the back seat of the minivan and they're asking to hear Frozen. And for whatever reason, in these Disney songs, they put these notes in there that no kid can sing. No human, you know, no human can sing these notes. And so the kids don't sing them. They scream them. They yell them. And so, you know, for years my life was, let it go, let it go, you know, in the back seat of the car. So fast forward to Frozen 2. The big song in Frozen 2 is this song called Into the Unknown. Now, in, in Frozen 1, there was one big note in the song. At the end of the song, Let It Go, it was like, let the storm rage on! You know, that's how my kids would sing it. And in Frozen 2, they decided to up their game, and every chorus of the song has one of these crazy notes in this song. And the song is called Into the Unknown. So now, you know, my life is the kids in the minivan singing, Into the Unknown! Into the Unknown! You know, into the unknown, and that's and that's parenthood in a nutshell. But the song "Into the Unknown" is this idea that Elsa, who's the one with the ice powers, is, is now the queen, and she's comfortable and she's ruling her kingdom. But all of a sudden, she starts hearing this voice that that's calling her into this enchanted mist. Once again, it's a Disney movie, guys. You know, and so calling her into this enchanted mist, and she's struggling with this idea: Do I stay in the kingdom? And do, I, and do I live this comfortable life, or do I follow this voice that's calling me to go into the unknown, into this midst? And church, can I tell you this morning, 
that if you're going to follow God, that if you're going to be a Christ follower, if you're going to make your life count for the kingdom, that oftentimes God is going to call you into the unknown. That you're going to have to take steps into the unknown. Now I want to tell you, if you're a planner here this morning, this is going to drive you nuts about your faith. If you're a checklist person, I want to tell you, you just need to buckle up, honey, because God is going to call you into things where there's no checklist. God's going to call you into things where you're going to see the vision and you're going to see the end, but you're not going to see the step-by-step of how to get there. And he's going to say, are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? And are you going to take a step out into the end? This is the story of Scripture. This is what God told Abraham to do. Get up, leave, go to a land that you don't know. This is what happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're getting ready to get thrown into a fiery furnace. They say, God will protect us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your false God. Into the unknown. This is what happened when Peter said, Lord, is that you coming to me on the water? If it's really you, call me to come out. He says, come. And Peter has to take a step out of the boat into the unknown. God will often call you when it comes to your vision, when it comes to a plan for your life. There's going to be points where you're not going to see the next step. There's going to be points where you don't know what is going to come next. And you're going to have to trust God to step out into the unknown. And I think God does this for a couple of reasons. That God often calls us to step into the unknown for a couple of reasons. And the reasons are this. Is that the unknown reveals our trust in God... And the unknown reveals our view of God. The unknown reveals our trust in God. And the unknown reveals our view of God. So when I turned 30, which was was just a few years ago, by the way. uh, When I turned 30, my wife threw a surprise birthday party for me. I've never had a surprise birthday party before. And so 30th birthday, she takes me blindfolds me, puts me in the car, drives me around Tulsa, all, all which way. So eventually, you know, I get lost and I have no idea where we're going. Eventually, we wind up at this event center. I walk in, everyone's there, surprised, the whole big thing. Now, in this moment, I'm blindfolded, I'm in a car, I have no idea where I'm going. What if I didn't trust my wife? What if I didn't have a good view of my wife? What would happen in that moment as she's leading me into the unknown? I would start freaking out, would I not? I'd be like, where are you taking me, honey? Oh my gosh, this is it. The moment's finally come. You're going to leave me out in the woods somewhere to die. I just knew it. I just knew I saw that look in your eye this morning. You know, I know what you're up to. When you step out into the unknown, it reveals your trust and it reveals your view of God. Because oftentimes when God takes us out into the unknown, what do we do? God, are you, are you going to leave me? To hang, are you going to hang me out to dry this time, God? Are you really going to be there this time, God? God, are you really, can I really trust you if I take this step out? And it reveals in that moment what our real trust level is like. And what our real view of God is like. We just sang about the goodness of God. I've seen the goodness of God. But it's easy to sing about that when everything's going good. But what about when he's leading you somewhere you don't know? What about when he's leading you into an area that's uncertain, that's unsure? Is he still good? Is he still God in that area? And in that time, the unknown reveals our trust and the unknown reveals our view of God. See, Paul said he was bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And the truth is, just like I was, I was bound to my wife when she was leading me to the surprise party, we won't bind ourselves, we won't fully bind ourselves, we won't fully surrender ourselves to God and allow him to completely have all of us unless we believe that we can trust him. And unless we believe that he's good. And I want to tell you something this morning, Lifehouse Church, is that God will lead you into good things. But God will not always lead you into easy things. That God will always lead you into good things, but he will not always lead you into easy things. But I want to tell you from the experience of my life, and you can ask anyone here who's been following Jesus for a long time, he's worthy of our trust. And he's worthy of us believing that he's good because no matter how many times he's led me into the unknown, he has always been there every step of the way, every second of the way. We can trust him because he's good and because he loves us. Do you believe that this morning, church? See, faith allows us to see that God knows the way even when I can't see the way. That God knows the way, 
even when I can't see the way, even when I don't know what the next step is, even when I'm uncertain of what the future holds, even when I say, I want to do, I want to, I want to get out of debt. I want to make my life count. I want to, maybe there's a ministry that God has called you to. Maybe you see a hurt in the world. Maybe it's homelessness or maybe it's addiction or maybe it's sex trafficking. Maybe there's, maybe there's a neighbor that you want to reach for the kingdom and you don't know what that next step is. Can you just trust him to take a step out in the unknown? You, will I miss it, Daniel? Maybe. Maybe you'll get it wrong, but don't you think God is big enough to account for our mistakes? Don't you think that God in his grace and his mercy, if we're trying to reach after a goal, that he's going to lead us and guide us like a loving father? That's who our God is. That We can trust him as we step out into the unknown. Faith says that God knows the way. Revolutionary faith says God knows the way, even if I can't see the way. The second thing we see that happened in Paul's life starts in verse 23. So Paul says, I feel bound to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except... I do know one thing, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Well, that's great news. That's, that's an encouraging report. So Paul says, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. The, second, the first obstacle we talked about was into the unknown. The second obstacle that comes when we try to chase revolutionary faith towards a revolutionary life is the uncomfortable is the uncomfortable. Because of that, I need faith to see past the uncomfortable. I need faith to see past the uncomfortable. So my mom um, was recently diagnosed with diabetes, and because of that, she uh, has been losing vision in her, in her uh, eyes, which of course is where vision comes from, so it's a little redundant. <laughs> she can't see as good, all right? people. Just, and, and so she's been going to this doctor, and um, and so the doctor is treating her for her eyes. Now, I, I don't mind medical stuff. Now, I, moving up, you know, c- coming up here to Cleveland, everyone's talking about how great the medical facilities are. I, I think it's great. I, I like medical stuff. I'm interested by it. You know, I could watch a video of like a surgery or something like that. I, just, I have a stomach for it. Except when it comes to eyes. I don't know what it is. My wife wears contacts. I can't even watch her put the contact in her eye. It just, it just grosses me out, okay? So... I take my mom to the eye doctor, and um, they say, okay, Mrs. Kim, you know, we're going to have to uh, do some laser treatment and stuff. I'm like, cool, I'll watch that, you know. And they said, but we're also going to have to give you injections in your eye. And so, so at first I thought, okay, I, I'm intrigued. I kind of want to see that. So I'm sitting in the room with her as the doctor comes, and they numb her eye. And then they, they take the needle out, church, and they stick the needle in her eye, and she squirmed a little. She went, oh, and I went, oh, and I just, I... And ever since then, I could not be in the, in the procedure room with my mom. I was like, Mom, you go in. I'm going to wait in the waiting room, and you can come out, and, I, and I'll drive you back. Because the church, if that happened to me, I would just be blind. I, you know, I would have my seeing eye dog picked out. I'd be like, okay, Rover, you and me are going to be good friends now. If, if you want revolutionary vision to come to pass in your life, sometimes it's going to require you to be uncomfortable. Sometimes it's going to require you to be uncomfortable, step out of your comfort zone. Now, now I want to talk about this for a minute because I think when it comes to this idea of being uncomfortable that we get this wrong in church often. I think what happens is when we hear that we're going to be uncomfortable, we expect God to swing our life in a 180 degree way and say, okay, you know what, you've had this great life here in Northeast Ohio, now I'm calling you to Africa. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, God, what are you doing? You know, I want you to sell everything you have and go move into the projects and live amongst the poor. And that's what it means to be uncomfortable. Maybe. For some of you here in this place, I don't want to ever diminish that. For some of you here in this place, God will ask you to do radical things for him. And sometimes he will ask you to make radical steps, huge steps. Faith-defying, just massive steps to do crazy things for the kingdom of God. Sometimes he will call you to do that. It's not all the time. But for all of us, God does call us to step out of our comfort zone. I don't think it takes much for us to actually get out of our comfort zone. I want to, I want to illustrate that. So, you know, I, in, in a room like this, right now, half of you are too hot, and the other half of you are too cold. And the other half of you think it's just fine. And so, I don't know about you, but, but in my house, one degree makes all the difference. 
Like, if the house is set to 72, we're all freezing. But if the house is set to 73, we're all burning up. You know, it's the difference of one degree. So no matter who you are in this room, I can guarantee that if I adjusted the thermostat five degrees in either direction, that's all it would take to make most of us very uncomfortable. It wouldn't kill you. You wouldn't die from it, but you would be very uncomfortable. Can I submit to you today, church, that, that if you were to look on a compass, and I have a compass app on my phone, and I don't know how to really use the compass app. Like if I was lost in the woods, if you dropped me off somewhere, this, this would be of no use to me, except maybe to like throw it at potential food to try to kill it, well, you know, to hunt. But I, I don't know how to use this. But, but I do know this. I, I do know what 180 degrees looks like. And this is, you know, we think that when God calls us to be uncomfortable, he's calling us to make a 180-degree shift. You know, God, you're calling me to move to Africa. God, you're calling me to, to sell everything I have and give it to the world. Like I said, maybe sometimes he does call you to do that. But, but I don't think it takes that for us to live in an area where we're outside of our comfort zone. I, I think sometimes God just calls us to make a five-degree shift. And what I mean by that is this. Five degrees looks like this. Oh, wait, sorry, went too far. There it is. Five degrees. There to there. There to there. It's almost imperceptible. You can't even see it. But the difference that it can make over the course of time, as, as you just, just live five degrees off, if, if I were to head back to Oklahoma in, in, in this direction and I, and I adjusted my course by five degrees, I wouldn't get home. I would end up somewhere. I'd probably end up in Arkansas somewhere. You know, it, the, the course of time... It, what, what if you adjusted some things that maybe, maybe even no one else saw, it, but, but maybe it's an adjustment in your attitude. Maybe it's an adjustment in your perception. Maybe it's an adjustment in how you view people. Maybe it's an adjustment just enough to get you out of your comfort zone. Just enough to get you to the point where you're not operating in your strength anymore, but you're operating in the strength of the Spirit. Just enough where you can say, I'm not the one that's doing this. I'm outside of my comfort zone right now. It doesn't mean that I'm making a massive swing, but it means I'm doing just enough to operate where I'm not completely comfortable because I believe it's in that moment when we take those steps of faith outside of our comfort zone, outside of, you know, it's all about me, outside of what makes me feel good. When we take that five-degree shift outside of our comfort zone, we step into the place where we're empowered by the power of God, by the Spirit of God, and that He can begin to do things in us and He can begin to do things through us that He couldn't do before when I was on my course and it was all about me. So for what that's looked like in my life and what that's looked like in the life of our church is our, um, our church staff and our pastor ha- has really been focusing and, and making an effort on us to try to be more evangelistic and try to, try to think more about the lost and win that, win the lost and have a mindset for people who are far from God. And so immediately as he's rolling this out, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he, I'm making a 180 degree swing. Like, all of a sudden now, I am the crazy person on a street corner with a sign, turn or burn, heathens! You know, you're a Bengals fan. I know where you're going. Come on, turn or burn, buddy. But, but what that's really looked like is, is not being a 180-degree shift, but just a five-degree shift, just enough to get us out of our comfort zone. In that, what if sharing Christ wasn't, wasn't this extreme thing, but what if, what if sharing our faith was looking for opportunities to speak life and to speak hope? And looking for opportunities to encourage someone. The next time you're at the grocery store, next time you're at Walmart, and you come across a cashier who just looks like she's bit into a lemon and has just had an awful day, instead of, instead of complaining about her not bagging your, your groceries fast enough, what if you were to try to engage her? And what if you were to try to say, hey, how's it going? You doing all right? Oh, it's such an awful day. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. You know what? I, I just believe today's going to get better for you. You're doing a great job. And thank you so much for what you're doing. And what am I doing in that moment? I'm, I'm, I'm speaking life into someone. I'm trying to share hope into someone. Our neighbors went away on vacation. They texted and said, hey, we're going to be out of town, you know, for a week. Just want to let you know. And in that moment, I could have just said, okay, cool, you know, thanks for letting us know. And that would have been me on my trajectory. But instead, God's been showing me, can, can we I'll live five degrees off and get outside of my comfort zone? All of a sudden, I said, is anyone watching your dogs? Daniel, what are you doing? I don't want to watch the I know, I don't want to watch the dogs. But... <laughs> Is anyone watching your dogs? Well, actually, no, we're going to board them. Man, we would love to watch your dogs. I don't want to watch their dogs. What am I thinking? <laughs> we would love to watch your dogs. And so, and so what did I do? I built a bridge with my neighbor because I'm trying to invest in them. I'm trying to show them the love and the generosity and the compassion of Christ. And what that did is what allowed me to build a relationship where there wasn't one 
before and it allowed me to invite them to church where previously I, wasn't, I didn't have the rapport, I didn't have the trust and the bank with them built up where I could do that because all of a sudden, instead of living for me, I lived five degrees off. But what could the impact of that be if you did that for the course of your life? If you just continually said, I'm going to live just a little off of what I want, a little outside of my comfort, I'm going to continue to take steps into the, the God zone that's outside of my comfort, into a place where God can use me, even though it doesn't... If you're an introvert here, maybe, maybe God's calling you to go talk to someone at your job. I don't want to talk to people. Could you live five degrees off? Could you, could you see someone in a new way? Could, could, you, could you have a conversation with a neighbor that you wouldn't normally have a conversation with? Could you befriend someone at your class that maybe you normally wouldn't do, but could, could God be calling you to live five degrees off, outside of your comfort, into his zone? Lifehouse Church, as a church, God is going to call you to take steps that are going to be slightly outside of your comfort zone. That if you want to make an impact, that the churches that make impact for the kingdom have to st- step outside of what makes them comfortable. Did you know that the primary purpose of church is not the comfort of the saints, but the conversion of sinners? That that's what the church exists for. And when we come into this place, man, it's so great that we can come and we can have our worship and we can have our fellowship, but if we make it all about us, we lose the point that Jesus didn't come to be comfortable. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. That God calls us to the same thing. That what following Jesus is about. What ultimate passion is about. The goal. The faith that we have. Is not about our comfort. But it's about his kingdom. And it's not about our comfort. It's about his kingdom. It's about reaching those people. So sometimes God's going to call you to do things. He's going to make you. Sometimes someone is going to sit in your seat. Sometimes the worship leader is going to do a song that you don't like. Sometimes the pastor is going to say something that you don't want to hear. Sometimes someone is going to come and sit next to you that smells different than you, that looks different than you, that believes different than you. And in that moment, are you going to choose your comfort or are you going to choose the kingdom? Are you going to choose your desires or are you going to say, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And even if it makes me a little uncomfortable, because in the truth of that church, it's a five-degree shift. It's not going to kill you. God's not calling you to make some 180. God's calling you to step outside of your comfort zone, adjust your attitude, adjust your perception. But life, Lifehouse, if you will be this kind of church, the measure of what God can do with a church that's willing to be uncomfortable is unlimited. That if a church is willing to lay down what makes just its own desires, if it's willing to lay down the thing that it wants to do and just it's all about me and just I'm so comfortable in my church with my Jesus, if, if it's willing to take a step out of that, the kingdom impact that it can have is unlimited. And so if you want to be that kind of church, it's going to cause you at times to be uncomfortable. But when you're uncomfortable, you're stepping out of your power and you're stepping in to God's power, accomplishing that by revolutionary faith. The last thing... Paul says in verse 24, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Uh, David, I don't know where you're at, buddy, but come on, come on up here. The last obstacle is that we talked about the unknown. We talked about the uncomfortable. The last obstacle we face is the unfinished. And I need faith to seize the unfinished. I need faith to seize the unfinished. I, I'm the king of starting a project. I'm the king of starting a project. We have in our, in our kitchen, in our dining room, we had wallpaper. House was built in the 2000s. It had like this beige grape with vines and all this stuff. And, and one day I'm like, done. I just walked over around Mother's Day and I said, rip. Just ripped off a big chunk. You see wallpaper, it always has a little corner that's sticking out, you know. So I grabbed that corner and just ripped, ripped that wallpaper. I was, honey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a new kitchen for Mother's Day. I got halfway through tearing that kitchen wallpaper off, halfway through the dining room, and it sat like that for a year. Until I called a friend of mine who owns a remodeling company. I said, brother, what would it cost? So I did give my wife a new kitchen, but I just gave it to her the following. 
Mother's Day year. Lifehouse, God does not want you to leave the work unfinished. I believe that in this place, some of you have had visions and you've had dreams of what your life could be and what your life should be that have sat unfinished. Maybe because it was too, maybe because the unknown was too great. You wanted to accomplish something, but you didn't know how to make the steps or the steps, it, it, it just got too murky. And you said, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I'm tired of the guessing. I'm tired of the uncertainty. I quit. And you went back and you retreated to what felt known and to what felt safe. And I would tell you, for some of you, maybe God is calling you this year to finish the work. For some of you, maybe you've had a vision and you've had a dream of what your life could be, what your life should be, but it was too uncomfortable to make it happen. That the demand on you was too great personally, that, that it, it stretched you too much and you got tired of being uncomfortable. You got tired of feeling like you're always giving. You got tired of feeling like you were always sacrificing. You've laid that dream down and said, it's too much, I can't do it. Maybe God this year is calling you to say, can you trust me with five degrees? Can you trust me just to take another step outside of your comfort zone into the area that I want you to do? See, God does not want you to leave the work unfinished. Listen to what Paul said. He said, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work. That God wants you to finish the work. That God has called this church, God has called Lifehouse Church to a great work in this area, do not leave it unfinished. That whoever God brings, whatever happens in your future, commit this day, church. Don't leave the work unfinished. God is not finished with this church. God is barely getting started with this church. Your opportunity to reach people. There are, there, you are sitting in this seat. You have an opportunity to reach people no one else in this area can reach. That God has given you divine appointments at your office. God has given you divine appointments in your neighborhood, in your campuses, everywhere you go. There are people that only you can reach, but you have to be willing to finish the work. You have to be willing to lay, he said, Paul said, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work. Church, don't do what I did in the kitchen. Don't leave the work unfinished. Don't start your hand to it and take your hand off of it. Man, finish the work. Will it require you to step out into the unknown? Yes. Will it require you to be uncomfortable at times? Yes. Will it stretch you beyond belief at times? Yes, but there's a work that God has called you to do. Don't leave it unfinished. Don't leave it undone. God's called you to finish the work and he will give you the strength. It's not by your strength. It's not by your imagination. It's not by your power. He will give you the strength to accomplish the work that he's called you to do. Can we pray this morning, God? We just ask in your, in your presence right now that your spirit would speak to us, Lord. Is there a work that we've left unfinished? God, is there a vision that you've given us, Lord, that you've called us to, to blow the dust off of, God, and, and to reignite in our soul, God? Maybe it's a vision, Lord, to, to go back to school. Maybe it's a vision, God, of, of what our finances could be and what our finances should be, God. Maybe it's a vision... Of, of a ministry, God, that you've birthed in us, God, and you've placed inside of us, God, a, a wrong in this world that you've caused us, called us to correct. God, whatever it is this morning, God, would you reignite revolutionary vision and revolutionary faith inside of us, God? Whatever it is, God, reignite that faith inside of us today. And churches, we're praying today, if you're a follower of Jesus here in this place, I just feel like today is a day of commitment. And so if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, say, Daniel, I want to make a fresh commitment in my life to say that no matter if God leads me into the unknown, no matter if God leads me into the uncomfortable, no matter what it is, I do not want to leave the work unfinished. I want to commit today to follow him into the darkness, to follow him into the pain, to follow him that no matter what, I want to grab a hold of Jesus and not let go because there's a work he's called me to and I want to finish that work. If you're here today and you would make a fresh commitment of that, would you just raise your hand so we can pray together? So Father, for hands raised this morning, God, we just make a fresh commitment to you, Lord. No matter what the cost is, no matter what the call is, God, We'll say, we'll follow you into the unknown. We'll follow you, God, into the uncomfortable, Lord, because we want to see the work that you've started in us, the work you've started in this church, come to completion. And also, with everyone still praying, if you're here in this place today and you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus, 
Maybe you were invited here by a friend. Maybe someone said, hey, some new guy is going to come preach. Would you come hear him? Or maybe you just heard, hey, there's going to be bagels, and, and, that was, and you're here today, whatever the reason is. Or maybe you made a commitment to follow Jesus once long ago, and you've walked away from that, and you know you're not living in relationship with God. I believe that God has brought you here for this moment and for this purpose so that you would know that you have a Heavenly Father that loves you and that is crazy about you. And he wants nothing more than to live in relationship with you. But what the Bible teaches is that our shortcoming, what's called sin, it separates us from God. What sin does is it breaks relationship. And so it breaks your relationship with God. It breaks your relationship with one another. And you know this to be true. You know, oh man, I keep messing up. I keep screwing up. I keep falling short. And that's why we need the grace and we need the forgiveness of God. And that's what he offers through the sacrifice of Jesus. And if you're here today, I want to tell you there's good news that no matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, no matter what things have happened, that there's a fresh start for you today in Jesus. That he does not want to leave you alone. He does not want you to walk through life alone. That he wants a relationship with you that will change your life. Jesus said, I I came so that you would have life and you would have it to the fullest. Are you living in the fullness of a life that has a relationship with God. If not, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to make a commitment to begin that relationship. You may not know what everything's about. You may not know all the ins and outs, and that's okay. Today is a day for you to make a start on a journey that lasts a lifetime and a journey that will change your lifetime. And so if you're here today and say, Daniel, I don't have a relationship with God, but I'd like to start one. Or Daniel, I used to have a relationship with God. I'm not living in that relationship anymore. I want to come back to my Heavenly Father. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to count from five to one. And when I do, I don't want pride to hold you back. I don't want fear to hold you back. I want you to boldly raise your hand this morning and say, that's me. I want a relationship with Jesus. I want a fresh start for my life. I want to be forgiven. And I want to know that my life is going to matter. And that's you here today. Would you boldly raise your hands in five, four, three, two, one. Anyone here today? See over here and see over here. See you two over. Anyone else that would join these four this morning? Say, Daniel, I want a relationship with Jesus. I want a relationship with God. I want to know him. Anyone else that would join these four today? Lifehouse, what I want us to do is I want us to pray together and pray out loud as as we join in welcoming people into the family and into the kingdom of God. So when I pray, if you'll repeat after me, let's pray loud. Let's pray in support and celebration of what God is doing here today. Dear Dear Jesus, thank you for speaking to me. I recognize my need for you. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And my best friend. I ask your forgiveness. And I receive it. From this day forward, I am yours. And you are mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Can we just celebrate what God's doing here today? I want to thank